listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and I'm excited to bring you today's episode that features none other than our CEO, Tom Vanderark. Because our communities are so segregated, it's hard to create schools that are truly racially and socioeconomically diverse. And we're afraid increasing inequality will make this problem worse. So what do we do? Well, we've learned a lot about opening good new schools in communities that need them, and we're still learning about transforming those inherited factories into design studios. The point is this. To make things better, we need to name and frame the problems that we face. That's the first step in design thinking, after all. The next step is empathy research. It's time to make the problems real by talking to kids and teachers about what's really going on. Then comes the fun stuff ideating and prototyping around updated goals. We need a lot more of that, and it's time to get busy. Today we'll hear as Tom enumerates some of the problems that we're facing. It may sound like a dour topic, but it's all part of understanding the problem, the first step in design thinking. Hey, it's Tom here. I'm flying solo today in between school visits in Phoenix, Arizona. Today I want to talk about problems uh, that the point of this podcast is um, to try to dig into some of the problems that we face in U.S. education. The, the premise is that by naming and framing the problems that we face, that we can begin to uh, unpack those and build new solutions. Uh, we've got a long list of problems. I, I think each of us could, uh, could quickly make a, a list longer than 10, but I've got a list of uh, 10 gnarly intertwined problems that uh, I want to try to unpack. I, I hope it's a useful list for you. First of all, we inherited a factory, but we need a design studio. So with a, a focus on compliance and routine, these factory model schools that we inherited um, include rules and bells and tests and credit requirements that just get in the way of growing capable human beings. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. There's great teachers doing great things every day inside these factory model schools, but it's sort of like playing baseball on a golf course. The setup is all wrong. So I think we need to acknowledge that to start, that we've just got the wrong setup for what kids need today. Problem number two is uh, the goals. The goals of the factory school were obedience and knowledge transfer. They, they were also uh, ruthlessly efficient in sorting out the non-compliant. But now that knowledge transfer is widely uh, and easily accessible, and that initiative is more important than obedience, we need a new set of goals for school. Moving beyond the basic requirements that we've focused on for more than 100 years is going to require community conversations about what's important and how to prepare youth or even better yet, how to help young people contribute to community vitality starting today. We're excited to see communities around the country and, and in fact around the world having really productive conversations that are leading to new graduate profiles. But we need new goals for new schools. Problem number three is just the gravity of the system that we have. So even once you get the goals right, the purpose for school, the big why, 
We just have to acknowledge the immense gravity of the factory system that we inherited. I've been in a lot of 100-year-old buildings in the last few weeks uh, around the country, and the narrow halls and small classrooms and desks in rows just oozes tradition. I've seen people trying to innovate in these 100-year-old buildings, and wow, they can do cool things for kids, but boy, that architecture we inherited just uh, really gets in the way. Add to that layers of local, state, and federal policy, and they just uh, reinforce this sense of tradition and add to the weight. An even bigger boat anchor is our collective and idealized memory of school. You know, everybody went to school and it sort of worked for me, so it's good enough for junior. That sense that... um, We all have an idealized memory of school. That sense of tradition gets in the way. Why is this important? Well, I think you have to weigh the gravity of the factory system because it takes a lot of political capital to change that system. Or as uh, Gordon McKenzie, the author of Orbiting the Giant Hairball, would say to leave orbit, you've got to expend some political capital. So it's important to start building a political bank account if you want to attack the gravity of the system that we've inherited. Best way to do that, community conversations. That's uh, how you start making deposits of in your political bank account. Problem number four is uh, the business model. In many parts of K-12 and higher ed, we're experiencing declining enrollments and increasing costs, a really bad combination for fiscal management. Add on the odd governance structure that we inherited in America with 14,000 school districts, and you just have a big business model problem. I'm afraid enrollments are going to continue to decline um, owing to slower birth rates and slower immigration rates. And, and as uh, more and more learning options develop, especially at the secondary and post-secondary level. And I'm afraid the pressure on state budgets is only going to increase. So I, I don't see new investment coming here. And given the importance of relationships in education, we experience what's been called the Baumol's cost disease. William Baumol was a, an economist that um, 60 years ago, uh, came up with this this cost disease rule. He said there's certain sectors of the economy where you just don't get any labor productivity and you might even have rising costs with no labor productivity. Um, and I think even with new schools and new staffing models, we're not going to dramatically change the basic cost model of education, at least at the classroom level. Um where we do have a big opportunity is when it comes to administration. And, and we do spend, uh, because of how our school systems are set up, we spend a lot on administration. So it does feel like there's a, a big opportunity there. We've identified a, a dozen lean district service delivery opportunities uh, we also think schools working together in networks of like-minded schools is an important way of creating nimble, uh, efficient, high-performing systems. Problem number five is uh, complexity. So as we um, 
move from just a focus on basic skills to focusing more broadly on success skills, including creativity, critical thinking, collaboration, um, personalizing on all those dimensions, and then moving to, to competency where kids progress as they demonstrate mastery uh, is just enormously complicated. Uh, it's, it's complicated pedagogically, financially, politically, and in terms of staffing um, and structures and schedules. I was in a, a few schools today that are thinking about individualizing uh, scheduling for both uh, students and faculty members. Um, this is a place where we need uh, some artificial intelligence tools. Um, but the, the, the point here is uh, we're getting better and better at uh, personalized learning, but let's acknowledge that it's, uh, it's truly uh, complex, uh, a complex endeavor. Number six is we've got a couple invention problems. We really need a new core technology in education, uh, new measures of learning, better ways to capture and communicate expanded human capabilities, uh, something much better than seat time and a list of courses passed. The big opportunity, as uh, Dave Connolly discusses it in his new book on next generation assessment, is cumulative validity. I joked during our podcast that he and I are probably two of the only people in the country that get giddy about cumulative validity. What that means is that good schools know how every student is doing every day. They take advantage of lots of data points over time to understand uh, student achievement and student growth. For example, they, they will look at 300 writing samples and give you a really accurate picture and that school doesn't need to stop school and administer a, a writing test to know how their student is doing. They have cumulative validity of lots of formative. We need to get better at taking advantage of all the formative data that we're collecting and stop wasting the time, energy, and focus on bad testing. But let's acknowledge that this is a tough problem. We're gonna have to build big data sets while protecting privacy. We're going to have to solve the interoperability problem. We're going to have to develop new methods of comparability so that we can compare student learning uh, from one system to another. The tech is going to be the easy part of this solution compared to the, the politics. We also need to equip young people with better signaling tools than a, a GPA and a list of courses they uh, passed and degrees they earned. Badges that reflect uh, units of demonstrated competence with real evidence behind them would be a good start. And a published and verified portfolio of personal bests would be another great addition. Uh, I'm excited about the work that the Mastery Transcript Consortium is doing to build uh, better, more robust signaling systems so that young people can share uh, all the ways that they're developing and growing. Number seven is we've got a real serious lack of R&D capacity when it comes to education. Our federal government spends very little. States do almost no education R&D. Uh, big uh, publishers in education are, uh, are almost uh, gone and out of the R&D business. 
the the venture space, the startup space uh, has gotten a little bit better. We're spending about three billion there a year. The the philanthropic sector is is paying more attention to the R and D agenda. Uh, so there's there's signs of hope, but uh, we need more basic research uh, when it comes to learning and learning learning science. Uh, and unlike biotech, where most of the startups are based on real basic research, uh, a lot of new edtech tools are um, often uh, started anecdotally rather than with a real link to basic research. I'm excited about the Digital Promise Learner Variability Project, which is a, a good start to compile research and then make it available uh, to edtech innovators. Number eight is we have a speed problem. We just work really slow and we we assume that we we have to phase in work uh, only on school years. Uh, and so working in phases is, is super important, um, but we often do it at a pace that really does kids a, a disservice. You know, if we take equity concerns uh, seriously, we need to find ways to um, improve and innovate more quickly. It's ironic that equity concerns often slow us down. We, we may not make an improvement to uh, one part of the system if we can't do it everywhere, um, but we need to get better at putting innovation on a timeline and, uh, and making the equity case to our community that in a short order, everyone's going to have access to, uh, to innovations in our system. When it comes to pilot projects, one of my uh, favorite sources is uh, Pam Ram, the former uh, superintendent in Albemarle County. She now leads the Virginia School Consortium for Learning. And Pam would argue that we should aim small and miss small. These iterative approaches to innovation uh, I think that's uh, pretty good advice. Pam also said she feels it's important not to let a plan block opportunity. We pivot fast to stand up a new idea, uh, added Pam. So the point here is we need to be thoughtful, but we also need to work with a sense of urgency. Number nine is uh, a, another caution that in my 60th year, I've become uh, more circumspect about the the fact that every well-intentioned fix comes with some unintended consequences. I mean, take No Child Left Behind as an example. It was a great example of equity-focused, bipartisan legislation, but those of us involved in it knew that it it had some flaws. For example, we had to grab onto grade-level proficiency instead of growth because we didn't have good growth measures back in, in 2000. But we thought there would be fixes along the way, and that just didn't happen. And the legislation grew stale and then dangerous. And it's just a reminder that that even uh, the the best intentioned efforts are going to have some unintended consequences, and we need to we need to be thoughtful about what those might be and guard against them. And finally, I, I want to acknowledge the challenges of poverty. Uh, especially the concentrated generational poverty that so many of our communities experience. It's really encouraging that we're learning more about the impacts of trauma and adverse childhood experiences, but 
It also makes the problem seem larger and more pressing than ever. And because our communities are so segregated, it's hard to create schools that are racially and socioeconomically diverse. I'm also afraid that uh, because of, of machine learning and exponential technology that we're going to see even more income inequality that in many communities it will make this problem even worse. So what do we do? Well, we've learned a lot about opening good new schools in communities that need them most. Uh, we have to acknowledge that we're still learning about transforming those inherited factories uh, into things that look more like design studios. The point of this podcast is to make things better. We need to name and frame the problems that we face. In fact, that's the first step in design thinking. The next step is empathy research. So make the problems real and visceral by talking to kids and teachers uh, about what's really going on. I did uh, a lot of that today in Phoenix. Then comes the fun stuff, the ideating and prototyping around updated goals. We need a lot more of that, so let's get busy. Make a list of your problems. Uh, would love to hear comments from you in, uh, in the show notes to this podcast, and let us know about uh, people that you'd like us to interview, problems that you'd like us to take on. Thank you to Tom for sharing his thoughts on today's episode. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling even more inspired as we kick off this new year to take action and get to work on the problems that we face. If you'd like to learn more about great schools and lessons that we've learned from visits, be sure to check out a recent episode that Tom and Emily recorded that takes us through their year of school visits. You won't want to miss it. It's called What 100 School Visits Taught Us This Year. We've got it linked in the show notes. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. And for the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica signing off.